2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation, whereas worldly grief produces death. This is, this is the kind of grief that is alien to us, this, this godly grief, this, this grief that dwells in us that makes us grieve and be sad for things that we have done or things that are in the world that we maybe not normally be grieved for. It's a grief that is foreign, completely opposite to who we are. Grief that produces in us, uh, that God produces in us, that leads us to repent, to change, to go the other way. That leads us into salvation. Where this worldly grief produces just death. So in there, there's an idea that this, there's a grief and a repentance that is different than the rest of the world. God produces repentance in us. Last week, I told you one way to understand repentance is that, as my friend Brian says, like, God allows us to see our sin as he sees it. And I think another, we could add on to it. God, in, in addition to that, God also allows us not just to see our sin, but allows us to see how he loves us. And that love is transformative. You see, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, God in us, convicts us of our sin, allows us to trust in Jesus and his work on the cross, which is, the work on the cross is his repentance for us, which is that, that justification that makes us right once and for all. And that justification in us, that, that work in us, that with that Holy Spirit, produces a repentance, which is our sanctification. Sanctification is that word to be made holy, to be set apart, to be made into God's character. Right? This is so interesting. Justification makes us, God gives us his character once and for all, but that sanctification produces that character in us. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. But it's important to understand repentance is a full part of the good news for us. Repentance is part of our sanctification. And today we're going to talk about one aspect of that repentance looks like in our life. And repentance as restitution. Lots of ways that repentance looks like in our life, but repentance as restitution. Restitution would be giving back what you stole. Giving back what you stole. Restitution is a fruit of repentance. Repentance is a fruit of sanctification. And sanctification is a fruit of justification. All of this, all of this is the work of God in you. He justifies you. He is sanctifying you. And that sanctifying looks like repentance in us, and that repentance in like part of it looks like restitution in our lives. In the movie Kite Runner, I know there's a book, Kite Runner, as well, too, but I didn't read the book. I watched the movie. Um, so recommend watching the movie, not for little kids, though. Uh, I heard great things about the book as well. But uh, in, this, in this movie, there's one scene that really grips me. It is uh, Baba, Amir's father, uh, who confronts his son on stealing. And this is what he says. There's only one sin, only one, and that is theft. 
Every other sin is a variation of theft. When you kill a man, you steal life. You steal his wife's right to a husband. You rob his children of a father. When you tell a lie, you steal someone's right to the truth. When you cheat, you steal the right to fairness. It's an incredible way of looking at uh, the commandments in general and then of sin, that it is all theft. Right? Asks, when you bear false witness or lie, we steal the truth, among other things. When we covet, we steal God's glory. We steal God's glory and then our knowledge of his ability to actually provide everything that we need. When we don't honor our parents, we steal their honor. When we don't honor the Sabbath, we rob each other of rest and also God's glory and our time with him. All breaking of the Ten Commandments are stealing everyone. In fact, every sin that you do is stealing God's glory in your life or diminishing God's glory. It doesn't actually diminish God's glory, but in your perspective, right? And you actually, it's not that important to me. This other thing is more important. Theft is bigger than just stealing a possession. Theft can be a non-material item as well. We steal time. We steal truth. We steal power. We steal wealth. We steal glory, all the commandments of God, because they are God's character, are always intertwined and therefore always linked together. So when you break one, you break them all because you break God's character. We are sinners, therefore, we are thieves. God requires restitution from thieves, period. He requires restitution from thieves, which leads us to the story of Zacchaeus. Now, some of you that know me well or have been around here for a while know this is my story. This is the first story I ever heard when the gospel was truly proclaimed to me. It's the first story that gripped me about Jesus. It's so important to me that uh, my second son, Joshua, his middle name is Zacchaeus. He's not very fond of that name because he can't spell it, but that's his name. <laughs> Zacchaeus is a tax collector, right? And in our time, tax collectors, we're not a big fan of tax collectors, right? I'm particularly not a big, big fan of tax collectors right now or with the IRS because they haven't given us our return yet. Uh, so, you know, just got some issues with them at the moment. But it's a minor issue in some ways. We're told Zacchaeus is a chief and, and he, a tax collector, so he's in charge of other tax collectors, and he's rich, which means he's a really good tax collector, because the way tax collectors made their money, tax collectors were Israelites that charged other Israelites the taxes that Rome charged upon them. So Rome would hire Israelites to tax the Israelites who were there oppressing with tax, and the way tax collectors, man, they don't, this is what they expect we're going to contract for this amount of money for each person, but then they were expected to overcharge to make some income to themselves. Everyone knew this. There were actually kind of rules of how much they could overcharge, but there was nothing you could do 
to a tax collector if he overcharged you when he could charge you anything he wanted. And so as we heard told Zacchaeus is really rich, means he's a really good tax collector, which means everyone hated Zacchaeus. Right? In, in the Israelites' mind, there is sinners, leopards, lepers, sorry, <laughs> and tax collectors, right? Tax collectors are the worst of the worst because they're not only they're stealing, they're betraying their own people and working with their oppressor. Bottom of the bottom. And so here we have this story of this tax collector. The worst person you can think of. And in the midst of the story, there's an unexpected kindness. A grace. Because Jesus enters in. And Luke 19.5 says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him. Now, he doesn't know this person. He's never met this person on this earth. But he knows Zacchaeus. He doesn't know them. There's crowds lining the street. Everyone wants to be with Jesus because of, he's a miracle worker. Zacchaeus climbs the tree because he wants to see. An undignified thing for a man to do at that time. Jesus looks up, singles him out, and calls him by name. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus wants a relationship was Zacchaeus. He wants to, to break bread and say, hey, we're together. We belong together. An intimate affair to stay at someone's house and to eat bread. I'm with you. you. That's what Jesus said. I'm with you, Zacchaeus. Everyone else, they want me, but I'm with you. No one else would hang with Zacchaeus, but Jesus will. I'm going to dine with you. You are with me. This is an extraordinary act of kindness and totally unexpected. Hear this very clearly. Jesus knows you. He knows everything about you. I mean everything. I mean the things that you don't even know. I mean the things that, are in the, that you think are in the dark recesses of your mind and heart that you don't want to share with anyone. He knows them. And yet he still wants to dine with you. It's an unexpected response. And then there's another unexpected thing that happens in the story. And it's Zacchaeus' response. What does Zacchaeus do in Luke 19, 6 through 8? So he hurried. Zacchaeus hurried down and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowd, they all grumbled. He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner? And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it full for it, fourfold. Now here's what we just I told you about Zacchaeus. How does he make his money? He cheats people. Everything that he has earned as a tax collector in his lifetime, he has defrauded people. So he has just made, he hasn't really thought this through. He's just made this pronouncement in this moment. It says, look at, I'm going to give half of my life to the poor. And then if I've defrauded anyone, which is everyone, I'm going to pay it back times four. 
And you and I were like, what? what is going on? It's an immediate response. Jesus doesn't elicit that. All Jesus says is, I'm going to dine with you today. Zacchaeus jumps down with joy. His heart is changed. Somehow he's not going to defraud people anymore. And he's given everything away. And Jesus doesn't tell Zacchaeus that he has to do this. He doesn't even say, he doesn't denounce it as well either. Uh, Duke Kwan and Gregory Alexander, pastors in their book, helped me to see this a little bit better in eyes that I couldn't see it before. But Zacchaeus knows something that you and I are just not really resident to pull out. He knows the Jewish law better than you and I do. He knows what a repentant Israelite ought to do. And he's recalling the biblical commands of restitution right away. Now, you probably haven't memorized the biblical laws of restitution, right? It's, they're usually in part of the Bible that you just tend to skip over, even if they're part of your reading plan. You're like, breeze through, and like, all right, that's not really that important, are they? But here's the important thing about uh, understanding that the biblical laws of restitution. Thieves do not get to dictate the terms in which they return the things that they stole. Thieves don't get that privileges. They're just told you have to give it back, and then some. Let's look at some of these Old Testament scriptures that we have skipped that teach us about restitution as repentance. Let's turn to Leviticus 6, 1 through 5. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord, which is interesting, against the Lord, by deceiving his neighbor in a manner of deposit or security or through robbery or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely in any of all those things that people do and sin thereby. You hear, there's a lot of things there. The first thing that says, like, look at, I want you to understand all those sins against your neighbor are really breaches of faith against God, first and foremost. David gets this sense in Psalm 51 that he knows that his, his sins are against God first and then against his neighbor and his people in which they commit him against. But in this, did you hear that? There's no finders keepers in our world. If you find something lost, he says, well, it's mine now. It's not how it works in scripture. It still belongs to someone and you need to give it back. That's just part of that. I just, but I want you to understand, this right here, this is describing what justice is is. This is God's righteousness. This is biblical. And goes on, if he has sinned and realized his guilt, right, so there's a, a realization, if someone has realized that they have done this, and will restore what he took by robbery, and what he got by oppression, or the deposit that was committed to him, or the lost thing that he found, or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full, and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. There is not delay. That godly grief that produces repentance, when you, God produces that repentance in you and you realize that that day you've done something wrong, that you have stolen something, remember it's just not material things. What is your duty? To not delay to immediately seek restitution, to pay back, according to this, 100% plus 
to give it back. All right, that's big deal. On that day, immediately without day, which is exactly what Zacchaeus does. All Jesus had to say, hey, today I'm going to dine with you. And we don't know what happened, but in his heart, in his mind, there was a repentance, there was a godly grief. God moving in Zacchaeus, and he responds, somehow I've known everything I've done is wrong. I'm going to give restitution today. I pledge it today. All right, Numbers 5, 5 through 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. When a man or woman commits any sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord. There it is, right? Breaking faith with the Lord. And that person realizes his guilt. I just want to make sure, like, if you don't realize your guilt, like, there's rules in here for you as well, too. So don't think you're out. Hey, I didn't know I stole this. That doesn't work either. So just hold on with me, right? When a person realizes guilt, he shall confess his sin that he has committed, and he shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him to whom he did the wrong, right? So there is a verbal apology, and then a thief has to return what he stole, right? If someone steals something from you, maybe something significant, a verbal apology is great. Return what you stole, the thief doesn't get, I'm sorry I stole and get to keep what he steals, right? That, that doesn't really connect the dots. There has got to be confession and full restitution. Some of you in this congregation have gone or are going through AA. Here's what I would tell you about people that have gone or going through AA or really worked the steps. They actually understand repentance better than the ordinary Christian because the steps forces them to go through repentance. Steps eight and nine are about apologizing, right in your wrong, and making amends. That means it's not just okay to say you're sorry, but you have to make amends for what you have done to them. Now, a person in AA probably hasn't stolen necessarily a material thing, but they've stolen lots of other things. They have to make full restitution. And making full restitution means at great personal cost. No matter the cost, you have to make amends. And this is really important because you and I know this if we live this out. To really begin to live in the freedom in which God is giving us. We know there is not a cost in which we, we, we can't pay. We know there we know it's impossible. Everything has to be in for the Lord. To make amends. Hold on, I know, like this sounds really workspace, Tracy. Like, wow. But the important to understand is that AA gets thieves don't get to dictate the terms. Alcoholics don't get to dictate the terms of their healing. Sinners don't get to dictate the terms of their salvation. All this is because this. This idea is the, is the justice and the righteousness and the character of who God is. It goes on in that Numbers, numbers uh, verse 8. But if a man has no next of kin to whom restitution may be, wrong, may be made for the wrong, the restitution for the wrong shall go to the Lord or the priest, in addition to the ram of atonement, which atonement is made for him. So here's the question, like, okay, what if I stole something material or non-material, and the person is dead. 
I'm free, right? I don't have to do anything. No! That restitution has to go to the next of the kin. Is there a limit to how far that next of kin is? There is no limit. It could be the 12th grand, great, you know, grandchild. Generations down the road. It doesn't matter. Next of kin. And even if you can't find out what the next of kin is, where does it go? It goes to God, particularly to the poor. And this is what, to the priest, right? That priest, they were set aside. They couldn't work. All their job was, was to make atonement for the people at that time. And so they were supported by the tribes of Israel. And so this was an extra gift. Like if you can't find the restitution where it goes, give it to the priest because they're poor and you're going to support them. Period. Right? Restitution has to be made. Restitution is expected. And hear this. Did you hear that? Restitution happens in this process before the atonement, the, the guilt offering before the ram is given to the priest. Because you also have to give this guilt offering to the ram. We're going to talk about this in a moment, right? To the priest in which he makes the sacrifice to God, which is a restitution to God. But you have to make that restitution to where you've also sinned. You have to do it actually in this order first and then before God. This actually makes sense, uh, sense right, in, in the New Testament, right? If you have harmed someone, right? Go, go deal with that before you gather as the body of Christ. It's the same kind of concept, right? Go take care of this before you gather. Restitution in the law is mandatory, but hear this clearly. It is not meritorious. It is mandatory, but is not meritorious. The ram offering, in addition to, for your sin to God, in which the sacrifice, wasn't, was also not meritorious. It, it didn't earn you anything. They actually understood this. The Jews understood that this system of sacrifice in which a lamb was given or a ram was given for an offering of guilt or for a sin, they knew it was a temporary placeholder. They knew it wasn't a one-for-one -one justice. They understood that clearly, but this is what God has ordered for them to point to something that we know today. Interesting enough, that word uh, restitution here in this passage in Romans 8, it says the restitution for the wrong, it is the same word as guilt offering. It is the exact same word, just here translated, as restitution. Because the ram, the guilt offering, the sacrifice is literally a restitution to God for what you have stolen from him. Did you hear that? The guilt offering, the sacrifice for your sins is a restitution to the Father for your sins. It is mandatory. It is necessary. It is a reparation to God. Exodus 22, 1 through 4. Now we're getting some case laws, very specific, right? So like, if these things happen, there's some other ways to resti pay restitution. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and kills it or, or sells it, he shall repay it five oxen for ox. So that's like five times. And four sheep for sheep. Ox are more important. If a thief is found breaking and is struck so that it dies, there should be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he should be sold for his theft. 
If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it's an ox or a donkey or a sheep, you shall pay debt. I'm not wondering when he gets you into the details here, but I want you to get you the general idea. Sometimes restitution is more than a one-for-one one in this Old Testament laws. Sometimes it's more than a one and a, and a fifth. Sometimes it's fourfold. Sometimes it's fivefold. These were just case laws in which gave them. Jesus, I mean, Zacchaeus is offering a moment in this, like, look at, he goes, look at, I'll, I'll give to the poor because I can't find who I've defrauded. And also I'll give fourfold. He's just making sure, look at, I know this is not the requirement, but I'm just going to make sure that I'm in the clear good. This is the repentance that's bubbling up in him. And in this here, did you hear, even if the thief has nothing, which Zacchaeus eventually would have, he's still obligated the restitution is still obligation. It's like, well, I don't have anything. It doesn't matter. Restitution is still an obligation. It is mandatory. Exodus 21, 33 to 34. When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. Restitution is required even if it is an accident. You know those sins that you accidentally do? Or even it's a sin without malice? Restitution is still required. That's the holiness of God. That's how different he is than you and I. All the, uh, in the Midrash, all the Jewish interpreters, interpreters of this law, of these laws, restitution laws, the early church fathers, all the way up through the Reformation, understood restitution rules don't just apply to those that directly stole. They understood that they applied to those who all were complicit or anyone who was a beneficiary of someone else's theft. Meaning that they knew that it was a generational theft and you were a beneficiary of this theft you still had to require to pay restitution. Meaning, you can't just steal something. There's no, there's no statute of limitations on this. Restitution has to be paid. It will be paid. And it doesn't matter how far or how long, or even if those who have directly benefited are dead. Eventually, it has to be paid. Even if it's 100 years, 200 years, 1,000 years, whatever it is, those that begin to realize it will have to pay it. There is no timetable. All sin needs restitution. Leviticus 6, 6 through 7. And then he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent. So he shall give the restitution to those that he defrauded, and then he shall give the restitution to the Lord without blemish, a flock, or of its equivalent, for a guilt offering, a restitution. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of these things that, may one, that one may do, and therefore thereby become guilty. After they have paid and repented and apologized and, and given the restitution to those that they defrauded, they need to pay restitution to God, the guilt offering, the, the, the reparation offering to God, via the priest, via sacrifice of a ram. Then there is forgiveness. All of this system, God is putting as a placeholder for something else. Restitution is mandatory. Are you hearing this? 
is mandatory, but not meritorious. And then we have this promise of God. We have this prophecy, but I want you to hear it as a promise. In Isaiah 53, 10. This, this is the prophecy of the suffering servant. This is the prophecy of Jesus. Just part of it. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, to crush Jesus. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, a restitution, that's that word, when Jesus' soul makes a restitution for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Did you hear that promise? I mean, I made it quite clear. This is the promise. 600 years plus before Jesus comes to this earth, that God says, listen, I'm going to bring my son, and he's going to be the restitution for all sins. All sins, past, present, and future. Jesus' soul will make an offering, reparation to the Father on our behalf. Jesus will make a restitution for a sin that is not his. Did you hear that clearly? Jesus makes restitution for a whole lot of sins that aren't his. This is his character. He will give back to God what was stolen from him generations and generations beforehand. All sin needs restitution. He's going he's to pay restitution for sins that are yet to come. He has paid that restitution once and for all. Are you hearing the good news? Are you hearing it? In Jesus, we have the good news. He repents and pays a restitution that is not his and that we cannot. He models. He models for those that he pays restitution for. Jesus, I mean, you ask sometimes, like, why does Jesus actually do the things he does on earth? One of the things why he comes to earth and one of the rings that the New Testament expounds on who he is and, and those stories they have is that he models repentance for us. He's coming as a human to model what does repentance look like in this life. He's baptized. What, how is he baptized? He's baptized into a baptism of repentance. Does Jesus have anything to repent for? No, except for all our sins. And yet he's modeling, this is what repentance looks like. If you want to know what repentance looks like in your life, what it ought to look like, look to Jesus. That's what it looked like. Part of that, it needs to begin to look like restitution. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Justification, his restitution for us is a one-time act. It is finished. That restitution on the cross makes us righteous. It guarantees our righteousness. There never has to be any other restitution that merits anything for us. That is it, period. Everyone got that? So important that you understand that. 
And yet, we know that there's this idea that we are not righteous. And so God knows this. And so I told you that sanctification is the fruit of, of, of justification or the righteousness, right? So both of them have to deal with righteousness. The righteousness that, that is declared at justification is once and for all. It's the already righteousness that is already in you and for you. But yet, just like the kingdom of God that is already and not yet is how we talk about it, the righteousness that God has given you is not fully manifested in you, is it? It's how God sees you because he sees in that way. He's given to you, but he is working through the Holy Spirit, this righteousness in you, this, this sanctifying process to make you into his character, which is righteous, which is justice. It's the, that's the, the not yet, I'd be made in this way, but it's the righteousness, is this. it's already justified, not yet being sanctified, but guaranteed it will be glorified. That is salvation. That is salvation. And what we know, uh, Philippians 1, 6, what God has started, justification, he will finish. If you have been justified, you will be glorified in him. This is a work that he is doing. 1 John 2, 1 through 2 says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, I mean, this is a letter for me, right? We have the advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. What is this propitiation? One aspect of this word means a payment or restitution for, ato for atonement. Jesus is the restitution for all our sins. Hebrews 10, 14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Did you hear that? He has perfected by his single act on the cross, justification. He has perfected it for all of us that are being sanctified. Both those processes. It's done, and yet it's working out in our lives. The already and not yet, but will be. This is all well and good, right? All right, this is fantastic. Okay, Jesus has paid our restitution to the Father. We don't have to pay restitution anymore, right? We're done. Yes and no. Yes and no. Jesus doesn't abolish the Old Testament law. He fulfills it. There's a little bit of difference here. He doesn't get rid of his character. He's just manifesting his character. He's fulfilling it. Yes, yes, Jesus is the restitution for your sin to the Father on all our behalf. Yes, that is the good news. You can add nothing to it. And yes, also, Jesus is the model. His life is the model for repentance in our life. He models what restitution ought to look like because restitution is a fruit of repentance in our life, which is the fruit of sanctification, which is the fruit of justification. All these things play out in our lives. Restitution is a part of God's justice. Repentance without restitution 
a life of repentance without restitution is nonsensical. It, it's, it's so much nonsensical. It's, it's restitution is part of justice. It's part of God's right, righteousness. Giving back to others to what God has given them. We can't keep on sinning because we have been justified. This is the, the logic that some people try to use against Paul. Like, well, my restitution has been paid. Past, present, and future means I can do anything. It's covered. And the New Testament and Paul and God said, that is nonsensical. Because you're not understanding that God is actually working in you to change you. Yes, he has done this, this forensic thing that's it's outside of you, and he's given this to you, but he's also working into you. It, it, rest, repentance without restitution is like asking, I want all of God's rewards without any of his character. That's not the life that we're called to. It's not the life you want. You want this character to be built into you. I want, Lord, I want your justification without your holiness, without the process. I want you without your work in me, building who you are. In this story, in the story of Jesus, Jesus doesn't correct Zacchaeus and says, no, 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 Zacchaeus, you don't have to pay restitution. He affirms the move in Zacchaeus' heart. Why? Because uh, it's the move of God in his heart. Now, almost every Christian theologian will tell you, and pastor will tell you, that Jesus affirms restitution. He affirms it as a part of repentance in the New Testament. He wipes away the interest. In the New Testament, there's not this interest. It's just, hey, if you stole something, give it back. Pay restitution for it. It's not the 20%. It's not all these case laws. All that was pointing to this absurdity of actually how we actually defraud people. Restitution is not meritorious, but it is mandatory. If we go, uh, I want to introduce you back to the, the pyramid that we have gone through in this church, understanding grace and the law. I have to do it backwards here, so keep in mind right this way. All right, so, right, so restitution in the Old Testament was this. I'm going, to fo- I'm going to obey God and get my identity back to being a child of God by pay- repenting and paying restitution, and then I'm okay with God. It's the way it was established. There was still grace, if you go around, there was still grace in the Old Testament. I mean, lots of it, right? But this system was to understand that you have to do something, that there's a law. If you break something, you have to fix it, and you have to pay it back, and this is how you become a child of God again. That is legalism, that is the law, that was what required. I just told you, Jesus is this restitution. Jesus is the one that fully obeys, pays all our restitution for every sin that we have committed so that we can be a child of God. And God declares it, not so that we have to do, we have to then repent and then pay restitution. No, God declares it by his grace that we are a child of God, period. Just like he does with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you and I belong together. You belong with me. Zacchaeus earns nothing. He doesn't do anything about that. He's a liar, cheater, sinner before this. And Jesus reaches out to him. This is what God does for us. He reaches out and calls us his child, unites us with him. 
But more than that, doesn't he do that? What he works more than that is that God indwells his Holy Spirit to build this character in us, which the fruit of this is that we need to repent of our sins and pay the restitution. Not because it's mandatory, because it's the character of God that's being built in our hearts. We're not just over here and get to do whatever we want. God is moving us closer to him. He's sanctifying us, like living out this righteousness and displaying it in our lives moment by moment, and then one day will glorify us in Jesus, in him. That's the good news. That's grace when you go around the triangle, right? Jesus has to go around the triangle this way, and he gives it to us grace this way. Restitution is always required, and it has been paid. Restitution is the fruit of of repentance. Repentance is the fruit of sanctification, God working, the indwelling Holy Spirit working in us. And sanctification is the fruit of the justification, the grace of God that he gives us and declares to us freely. What does repentance look like in your life? Is it just to apologize to God? We, we come here every Sunday, say the prayer of confession, I'm out. Maybe you go before a priest and say your thing, repentance, and do, I'm out. Maybe it's apologize to others. Or is it paying restitution as well? We as Christians need to learn that repentance means work on the steps. Work on the steps. Work on the steps of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. I'm not saying go out and figure out all, everything you have to pay restitution tomorrow, because I guarantee you, you're not going to know. But cut slow. I think God works in your heart at the pace in which sanctification looks different and a different speed for all of us, at the pace in which you can handle, which you can understand, and which God is moving in you, and there's a life of slowly, like, man, restitution. And here's the thing about restitution, I think, in our lives. It becomes so much easier the farther along we are with him because his character is being built further and further more. And we're not holding on to those things as much. It's not notorious. It's not, you don't earn anything from it. It is the fruit of God's work in you. So much glory. So how does restitution look like in your life? Or how does it need to look like in your life? That's my question for you this week. Perhaps I'm not recommending going home and trying to discern this by yourself. I'm not saying, hey, you need an answer by next week. I don't know. I'm saying ask the question. Ask the question to God. Ask it with the body of Christ, with others. Discern it with others. As we confess our sin, let's ask, everything is a theft. How do how is God working out his repentance in me? How is he working out that restitution, knowing that it's fully paid already? Next week, we're going to talk about the fruit of repentance as repair in our life. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Almighty God, I am so thankful. I'm so thankful for these people in which I see demonstrated your grace, your work, 
Maybe at times that we individually can't see it in ourselves, but Lord, I see it in the people around me. I see it the people in this congregation. I see it in the body of Christ. I see God working. I see repentance. I see us, each and every one of us struggling. I know in my heart I struggle, Lord. You need to reveal the sin in me. All the actions and all the deep-rooted sin in me. And Lord, help me repent, not just to apologize to you and to others, but to make restitution. Not because it earns me anything. Because I want to give back what I've stolen. Because you're working a character in me that is yours. You're working a character in this congregation that is yours. Lord, we give you thanks for the freedom, the freedom that Jesus pays on our behalf. This full restitution, a debt that we, you and I can never pay, Lord. I'm so thankful. Help that, help that justification, help that sanctification be manifest in this body and the body of Christ around the world. We pray this for your glory. And all God's people said, amen.